Hi, I'm Stacy. I love chatting about how to find our callings, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in a coffee shop. You can connect with me on social media at Stacy Summerow and subscribe to StacySummerow.com for a free discernment packet called How to Make the Right Choice. God's adventure awaits, my friend, and I am thrilled you're on the journey with me. Hey, everyone, and happy spring. You'll notice the background is replete with uh, nature sounds as well as the little motor that for the machine that kills mosquitoes in my backyard. I also have been redecorating my outdoor patio. Oh my gosh, it's been so wonderful. We have parties, try to do parties every month for our entire friend group. There's about 40 families in this big group that we all um, keep in touch with through an app and through our church and our homeschool group. And we just invite everybody over. Oh, that's a 100% authentic motorcycle sound in the background there. We just invite everybody over once a month to our house for a party just to get together and to build up the community and to try to make Sundays a really intentional day of rest. And it has been so life-giving for my family. I actually wrote a blog post about it. So if you want to go over to my blog, it's stacysummerow.com slash blog, I believe. I will definitely put a link to that one in the show notes for you. And I hope that you are just having such a beautiful Easter and a beautiful spring as well. I have the incredible Father Gregory Pine back on the podcast here to talk about his new book on the virtue of prudence. Father Gregory is one of the absolute smartest people that I know, and I want to make a little disclaimer that when we recorded this episode, I had a raging migraine. So if it sounds like I can't put two words together, it's true. (laughs) But fortunately, Father Gregory does like 99.5% of the talking, and I just react to everything he says and laugh because he's hilarious and very, very wise. So I hope that you enjoy this absolutely just brilliant episode from the wonderful Father Gregory Pine, which is going to help you make all of your decisions with boldness and uh, just peace. I mean, isn't that what we're all seeking is to be able to just live boldly and peacefully. Before we get to the episode, I have a question for you. Do you feel that you have a strong network of authentic friendships? Do you feel that your need for a community is fulfilled? I know that God wants us each to have life-giving relationships, and so I'm so glad that the Christian Family Movement is doing the work to fill that need, and they are the sponsor for this episode. So thank you so much for sponsoring us, Christian Family Movement. CFM is a growing worldwide movement based on the pillars of conversation, reflection, and action to bring families together and to help them grow in friendship and virtue. John and Phoebe from South Carolina share that CFM is more than monthly get-togethers. It's unique in that people come together as strangers and grow together as families of all sizes, sharing thoughts on worldviews, strengthening commitments to each other, the church, and supporting each other in good times and in bad. We are blessed to be a part of it. I believe it's a thousand percent essential, as you all know, to be part of a strong community, especially nowadays in this post-Christian culture we're living in. You can find a group in your area, or you can reach out to CFM on their website about starting a new one. Go to cfm.org, and that link is going to, of course, be in the show notes. I also have one more resource for you. The True North Discernment course is still open. We are still accepting new members to go through this five-week, five-module, self-paced course. It's all virtual, so you don't have any commitments uh, when you have to be in a specific place at a specific time. It's extremely flexible, which I wanted to do because I know how hard it is to sometimes fit in all of these courses that we want to take. And this truly is the course that I wish I had had in my 20s when I was making a ton of my life decisions but also now it's important to make good decisions and to know how God is speaking to you throughout each decision in your life. 
And as we talk about constantly on this podcast, those decisions are never going to end until you take your dying breath. So you can check out the True North Discernment course, which includes 43 talks from incredible speakers like Sister Bethany Madonna, uh, Father Mark Goring, Jackie and Bobby Angel, Mary Lenneberg, and so many other top A-list speakers um, as part of the God's Adventure Await Summit. So you get all those 43 talks about the art of discernment, as well as this five-module course, which synthesizes the teachings of St. Ignatius and the uh, rich discernment tradition of our Catholic faith. So you could spend months researching all of this yourself, or you could just go to this one spot and get everything all at once. So go ahead and check out stacysummerocom slash adventure to learn more. And I will definitely put a link in the show notes. That's only going to be open for a limited time. So I do encourage you to check it out while registration is still open. Okay, let's get to our beautiful episode with the incredible Father Gregory Pine. Father Gregory Pine, such a joy to have you back on What's my show called? It's not Pines with Aquinas. It's called Encaffeinated. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailing it. <laughs> this is a great interview already. It's great. Uh, it is St. Patrick's Day. And are you, do you happen to be drinking a beverage right now? I'm not. No. Okay. I'm, as they say en Francais, I'm making a Lent of alcohol. So mm. I occasionally splurge on Sundays because my mom had a cool way of counting Lent. She's like, check it out. 40 days, right? So count them up, include the triduum, comes to 46. You know what happens when you subtract the Sundays? 40. 40. So Mm -hmm. yeah, the Pine family household was never a fast on Sunday household ever. So I just, I cut loose. St. Patrick will be transferred to the Sunday. I was going to say that is very self-controlled of you to not do Thursday and Sunday Mm. and the 19th because that's St. Joseph's feast day, which is a Saturday. So I mean... I admire your self-control. Thank you. And the 25th. Oh, shoot. And the 28th is my grandma's birthday. So I got to celebrate that. Got to celebrate that. I think I turned to the manuscript for this book on March 29th of last year. So got to celebrate that too. You must celebrate that too. Yeah. And there's a lot you could think of. There's a, you know what? Everybody has a feast day. Multiple people have a feast day every day. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's true. Cause for mm. celebration. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, happy St. Patrick's Day. Welcome back. Thank you. And last time, um, I really, really enjoyed our conversation. And since then, you have written a book, which is called, let me see if I get this title right. It is called Choose Confident or Prudence. Choose Confidently, Live Boldly. Nailed it. Yes. That is such a great title. And I love <laughs> I love the confidence and the boldness that made their way into the title because we don't usually associate those with prudence. So we're just going to no. dive deep. So uh, I asked you this last time and it probably hasn't changed much, but uh, what calls have you received from God in your life so far? And what has receiving those calls looked and felt like? If you want to give, people can go, I'll link to your previous interview, but if you want to give any like new calls, like maybe writing this book or yeah. anything else that's that's been going on in the last year and a half. Yeah, writing this book was a call. It's a big thing. Um, another thing is, I've, I've, I think I'm called to be more recollected, just because, uh, you know, like life is busy and yeah. um, it's hyper connected, but it's not necessarily recollected. So I've been popping the chapel with more frequency, awesome. and uh, which, which has been good. And then um, 
I am also called not to look at my cell phone as much because mm-hmm. it's become a kind of constant converse, which has become, I'm just going to start stringing weird words together now, a constant <laughs> converse that is a simulacrum of the recollection, which I seek to cultivate. Um, so it's like, I think, I think the recollection that we ought to have is oftentimes just shifted over to the cell phone. Cause it's like, I am sad cell phone. I am distracted cell phone. I am tired cell phone. Um, yep. But in all those moments, it's, it's to God whom we ought to turn yeah. And so, yeah, I've been called to be more recollected, set the cell phone aside and other things, but we'll, we'll mm-hmm. leave it at that. Sure. A couple of questions about that, because I think you as a Dominican are called to be perhaps more in the world. You know, you're a preacher, order of preachers. So your call is to be out there speaking. Um, how does that? Obviously, they don't ban you from like your cell phone, social media, whatever. So how does that how do they govern that now? Because this is a brand new thing in the last I don't know, mm-hmm. 15 years or whatever. How do you, how do they negotiate that with religious life? I think religious life is just figuring it out, to be honest. Mm. You have some religious communities which ban it, which I think is probably a, a prudent response in light of the circumstances, since it is mm. such like a kind of information and availability explosion. It's like, mm-hmm. do you want that in your cloister? Because it makes of your cloister, not a cloister, if we're honest. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, uh, yeah, I think it's a mistake to kind of uncritically introduce technology into a religious community. I think that's mm-hmm. probably true across the board, regardless of whether you're religious or not religious. I just think that a human person should be somewhat suspicious of new technology, which introduces a world or wealth of goods into uh, into life. So, Absolutely. yeah. In my do they case, leave it, yeah. Do they leave ahead. it up to your personal discernment, kind of, as to they how much do, you're going to yeah. use it? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. While we're in initial formation, we don't have a cell phone. And then okay. uh, it's like once you're ordained a priest and it becomes somewhat necessary for pastoral care. Although I'm always suspicious when people say it's necessary because it's like, mm. could you get by without it? I think so. Hard to say. Yeah. But probably. I think that when we find ourselves saying like, I need it, I depend upon it. I thus and such it. It's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> really? I don't know. I mean, that's yeah. what they want you to think, the companies that have you update every three years, but I don't, yeah. I don't know. To the, yeah, I digress. No, this is all really good. I know it's a huge struggle for so many people. And I've often wondered that because I do see priests and religious on social media. It's like, we don't want to completely disappear from that sphere because that's where people's time and attention are going. But we are complicit in giving our time and attention to it in order to be there. And so as a personal discernment, when does that become too much? And then there's also the question of just like, being able to network with people. I've met so many amazing Catholics on social media. People have found out about my conferences through social media, but I felt yeah. called to step back a lot from it as well. And you know what? I'm so like happy living my real life um, that it really doesn't, I don't miss it. Like I've stepped back yeah. for like four months at a time, multiple times in the last year and a half and for different reasons. And just like, it gets to the point where I'm like, I could post something I think I'm just going to go hang out with my kids or my friends mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's just, it's so good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. But cool. That is a personal discernment. Um, yeah. 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 And I'm sure it's an ongoing struggle and it's a good struggle, it's, you know? Yeah. Cool. So that actually uh, takes us really nicely into my first question. I'm going to read a quote from your book and there were so many good ones. I just, I wish I had a physical copy to hold up and tell everyone buy this book, but 
until there is, uh, you sh- everyone should just buy it. It's uh, so beautifully written. But here's one that I really liked. Um, you said, many of us, I suspect, take on so much because we feel like we need it in order to justify our existence. With the wordless intuition that my life might be a bit light on meaning, I find it easier to engage in feverish activity rather than to sound the depths of my solitude. So I come to fill my days with busyness because I am afraid. By fragmenting, by fragmenting my life, parceling it out among myriad tasks, I barely keep at bay the creeping suspicion that maybe none of this matters. And I think that speaks to me, that speaks to so many people, whether we're busying ourselves with just, just going from thing to thing to thing. So how does this kind of busyness you know, and our discontent, where are they supposed to lead us? And how do we go about kind of getting past uh, that initial just, yeah, fragmented activity? Yeah, I think <clears throat> I'm, in a, I'm in a very practical mood right now, which rarely happens in the life of a Dominican friar. So I'm just going to go with it. Um, but so like the thing that I am doing right now for the m- most of the hours of most of my days is writing a dissertation. Mm-hmm. And um, I have I have to answer this question in very concrete ways on a daily basis. So I have to ask myself what matters. Because if I don't ask myself that question, then my dissertation will be 4,000 pages long. Because if I don't judge it according to some standard, then why not just include everything that I've read and researched? Because it testifies to the fact that I read these books, right? And that might be impressive to some person. So I may as well flaunt the fact. But it's like, no, Gregory, the point for which you are writing this thing is to, to grow in wisdom. I mean, to get a credential, but to grow in wisdom. And it pertains to the wise man to order. So, in each case, I have to judge what it is that I'm currently working on against the backdrop of the overall project, which is like, how do the mysteries of the life of Christ save? And if the thing that I'm working on actually contributes to clarifying that question, then I can be like, all right, let's, let's lean into this. Let's determine the extent to which this matters. And I think that, whoop, let's zoom back out. This is true of our lives, right? Our lives aren't just containers in which to toss many tasks yes. because- to what end? All right. If we're filled up, all right, you know, kind of by happenstance, you have a fulfilled life in some, I don't know, very, very, what, thin sense of fulfilled. But fulfillment is not just about the content. It's about the form of that content and the way in which that content goes towards like making something genuinely beautiful and whole and resplendent. Um, So, to do that, the parts need to be ordered. The parts need to have some coherence. They need to be able to you know, be in conversation or at the very least, they need to contribute to something beyond themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that uh, when it comes to evaluating tasks and like, you know, like how, what, what, what else would I say? When people invite me, I was invited to do something not this weekend, but next weekend. And for, for me, whenever it's like something ministerial, the usual go-to word is yes, because I'm a priest and I was ordained to be generous, right? So, if I'm not given to the people of God, then what am I doing with my life? But also, like I've been having difficulty sleeping recently. And Mm -hmm. sometimes, like while I'm writing my dissertation, my most frequently recurring thought is, I can't wait till this day is over. (laughs) 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 Which is not like an especially comforting Uh, thing, right? So, I need to be able to judge, do I go to this like retreat weekend in Luos, which is in Canton Graubünden, which is a five-hour public transit ride from here, which involves five transfers, all of which can be missed. Uh, And which costs X number of dollars. And these people don't have a budget for it. So they're asking me, you know, it's just like, I judge it against this backdrop. And and when you do, you have to ask yourself, like, who am I? What is my life for? And how do I give it? Yes, absolutely. 
I, uh, it makes me think of when I was single as well, when I would feel these, this obligation to like go to every birthday party that I was invited to. I filled up my evening so much, like, and I just never questioned it for the longest time. And now I just, I, <laughs> I think it's just age, but I, I look at it now and I'm like, why did I do all that stuff? And, and then same thing, even in motherhood, like there's an endless task, an endless list of things that you could do as a mom. And so you're like, oh, well, I have to be the mom who makes her own granola and raises chickens. No, you don't. What's actually more important? Is it more important? Are you actually called to like sit and read a book to your child and like look in their eyes and listen to them? Or are you called to be like, go talk to your dad. I'm going to be here making your homemade granola. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and you can just so easily go into these ra- down these rabbit holes in whatever in whatever context. So I love that answer, and I feel like it's applicable to just everybody discerning any decision in their life. Um, and kind of branching off from that, um, there's another quote of yours about getting at your how. Um, and this is from Viktor Frankl, who was a, a uh, in the Auschwitz concentration camp, and he discovered that the the people who survived were the ones who had a how. I think there's a quote I had here. The human person is made for meaning and he who knows the why for his existence will be able to bear almost any how. So how do you get about fi- uh, finding your why? Sorry, I, I phrased that incorrectly, but no, no. how do you find your why? And particularly yeah, yeah. if you haven't, like for me, it's kind of built in in a sense, like um, my children, my husband, um, but someday they're going to be grown up, my children, and my, my husband's already grown up. <laughs> <laughs> He's working on it. Well, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, and my children are going to be grown up and they're not going to need me in the same way. So for anyone who doesn't have that built-in kind of why, how would you go about finding that? Super general yeah. advice, but I, yeah, yeah. I think you'll uh, do a great job with it. Well, remains to be seen. I think that part of part of the answer to the question comes from the recognition that the why is already inbuilt, right? So when we say that the human being is made to the image of God, St. Thomas Aquinas doesn't often say that we're made in the image of God. He often says that we're made to the image of God, ad imaginem dei. So there's a kind of dynamism already present within our very identity because ad imaginem dei signifies that we stand to grow in the image of God. And so, all right, is that especially specific or determinate? No, but it becomes specific and it becomes determinate in the living of your life. So by virtue of the fact that you are the daughter of these two parents, that you were born in this year, in this place, that you were born in these circumstances, were raised in this way, attended these schools, found you know like these internships, eventually got these jobs, fell in with these friends who encouraged you to go to these retreats, you become the person who you are now. All right. And there's a kind of freedom that you exercise, but, but part of that freedom is, you know, like making bold and beautiful choices. And part of that freedom is ratifying the choices that go before you. So like you, you can't make your parents to be other than they are. And it's just the fact of the matter that your, your parents are going to program you with both their strengths and their weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So for you, that's the hand that you're dealt, right? Yeah. The question is then how do I play this hand well, or how do I play this hand beautifully? And I think that I mean, talked about this last time. Um, for me, like a big thing is desire. That, that God creates you with desires to give indication of the things for which you're made. And that over the course of your life, those desires are healed and they're elevated. So it's not as if, you know, the Christian drama is to repress all your desires and then enter slowly into a sensory deprivation chamber. So that way you can be holy the Lord's and a vat of goo. No, the point is for your desires to become more expressed, like more 
what would you say, like bold, um, more engaged as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think like, as you live your life, you know, make good use of the sacraments, pray, engage in Christian friendship, introduce a little pens here and there, study the faith, serve the material poor, etc. Your desires are healed by grace and they are elevated by grace such that they become more known to you and kind of more known to the world. Um, so yeah, when it comes to discerning the why in life, I think it's just like your, your why in life is God. And then God makes that specific as you go. You don't have to have it figured out by now. You, you figure it out kind of on the way because our life is a life on the way. And so for me, the, the why of my life, uh, the way in which it resonates, like in my body is as a fit. Like I, like I can tell you for a fact that I've been writing the present chapter of my dissertation for about the past three and a half weeks. I mean, like I've been researching it for the past thousand years, um, but I've been writing <laughs> it for the past three and a half weeks. And, and most of the last three weeks have felt like, you know, suffering unto death. But, but like, I don't, I don't resent that. Right. I don't yeah, hold yeah. that against anyone. Not, not, I mean, like, I certainly don't hold that against God. I don't hold it against myself or my province or whomever. It doesn't matter to me. It's just like, I know that this suffering is the suffering to which I am called. It's very simple. You know, it's very humble, but it's mine. And I know it to be mine on account of the fact that I feel myself to fit here. And that if I had a thousand lives to live, I would live every single one of them as a Dominican friar, because this is the best way for me to die. And that's it. You know, it's like a simple process, four steps, study, 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 die. Um, So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, that was beautiful. Um, Always going back to the deeper meanings behind things. Um, And yeah, the purpose for which I'm here. And I love that. What I just want to highlight what you said about being made to the image, like to grow in his image. So you already are in his image, but you then mature in it, essentially. Is that what you're saying? That's super cool. I love that. Um, and that actually does lead to another great um, quote again. I just, I wrote all this because I, ah, one of my things when I started this podcast was I had this theory and it has been proven to be uh, correct by your book definitively now, but I had this theory and I just, I, I really wanted people to know that God wants them to be happy. Mm. And that is something that I see over and over again is like, some part of us suspects that God really doesn't want us to be truly happy. And we don't even want to use that word because it's too, it has too much of an association with my pleasure, me, me enjoying myself versus that deep kind of much more lasting happiness. And I love that you just kind of took the bull by the horns and you're like, no, 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 this is how it is. So I'm going to read this quote. God wants you to be happy. He created you for this express purpose. He trains the whole of his attention on securing it. He's not looking to trip you up with temptation and trial. He's not waiting at a distance for you to fail. He's working patiently and and ceaselessly to draw you to himself who is happiness itself. Yes, to draw you to himself who is happiness itself. Your very existence is testimony that God's happiness cannot be contained within the bounds of his nature. His happiness brims over and fills creation that it might return to him in praise. In effect, God has a secret too good to keep, the secret of his divine happiness. And he shares that secret with you that you might know it and now and for eternity. Sorry, my notes are far enough away. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So what would you, okay. So obviously that's a very long quote. What do you want to say to Catholics who don't think that God wants them to be happy? Do you want to expound on that? I think, I mean, for those who don't think that God wants them to be happy or don't believe that, or don't hope that as it were, don't experience Mm -hmm. that in the marrow of their bones. I think there's probably reasons for which you don't believe that or hope that or experience that in the marrow of your yeah. bones because you've suffered some trauma in life. And that, that like to say that God wants you to be happy doesn't make it so that you have to say, I haven't experienced trauma in my life. Yeah. Um, so the two, you know, can be consistent 
because the scope of the happiness which God seeks to give is the whole of your life and eternity beyond. Mm-hmm. And so I think that like once we've suffered disappointment or once we suffered trauma, we begin to despair of God's generosity or mm-hmm. despair of God's goodness. Um, but it's a goodness or it's a generosity that's proven in the end or it's proven unto the end. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, yeah, if we if we kind of compromise on our expectation of it or like manage our expectations or we become kind of business managerial about the whole experience, like I would get my hopes up, but there's chances that I'd be disappointed. And as a result of which, because I want to like decrease the amplitude of my mood swings, I will now attenuate it as if I were taking an SSRI, but just applying it to the whole of my life, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is like, I, I get it. You know, like I, I understand that the swings hurt um, and I understand that they expose you to wounds, right? They make you vulnerable. Um, but I think that there's part, part of the Christian existence is to be open to the prospect that we will be wounded until such time as Christ returns in glory, mm-hmm. um, which is which is terrible. And I'm not saying that God wounds, except insofar as God made creation such that we are liable to be wounded. So God doesn't wound, but God uses that occasion as a way by which to heal us and to grow us, as a way by which to draw draw us closer to him in relationship. And so like St. John of the Cross will say things like God wounds so that he may heal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm thinking also of this quote from Origen where he describes how God is like a physician who does not heal the wound superficially because he knows that were he to do so, it would it would fester beneath the surface of the skin and prove yet more pestiferous. He says, rather, God gets in at the outset and heals it from the inside out, which will often mean, in, I mean, like Origen's, you know, third century wild Alexandrian prose, it means like cutting. <laughs> It's like, ah, right. And it will feel terrible. (laughs) It will, it will be experienced as trauma of a sort. Um, But I think that, yeah, we just pray each day for a greater openness, for a greater abandonment, as it were. Um, There's this beautiful prayer of a Jesuit of the last century de la Grande Maison who says something to the effect of like, give me a heart that is like a wound that will not heal until heaven. Um, Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. That's deep. Wow. Yeah, that as you're talking, that gives words to a lot of things that I've thought that have not really been able to articulate. Um, I think I shared in our email exchange that uh, last year was about the most difficult year of my life with my daughter being in the hospital for four months and almost dying multiple times. And it was um, it was a horrible idea, ordeal, not ideal, ordeal. And just so many, um, yeah, it, it really made me touch on those questions that I had believed for a long time, does God really want me to be happy and I think I, I believe it now more than ever, but I can't always say why exactly. And it's, I think there were a lot of moments where it felt like this is the end <laughs> when my daughter was, you know, uh, had another uh, medical event and might, might have died or, you know, just another surgery, another, you know, the, the suffering was just so prolonged and, and it's not, I think it's put it in very, very, very simple terms. It's just not the end. Um, that suffering is not the, the end of what God wants for you. And I think the fruits of having gone through that and then to come back home and to, cause I was living, I wasn't even living at my house for four months. We had to go follow her to the hospital. So I only came back to my house about five times in those four months for a day. And then when we finally returned home and we got to see our friends again, after so long, after so many terrible things happened and, and I think I just appreciate them so much more. And again, this is still not the end, right? This is just like 
if you take life and you kind of just take it down to like five months, you know, but the joy of the happiness of knowing like what, what our life is in a way that I never had before. Like the fact that like, when you see your child go through so many medical um, dysfunctional things, you appreciate the fact that she ever, that anything ever heals or that anything worked at all to begin with in a way that we never had before. I'm not sure I'm explaining this well, but basically just you appreciate what works and, and what is in a new way. And it's like this very kind of deep um, happiness that I can't quite explain, but like you could, I, I just kind of floated through life, assuming that I was always going to be healthy and my family would always be healthy. And then when you have those things taken away, you appreciate them when they're returned to you, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. To your point about like trauma and healing that and like God, I think did a lot of work is and is continuing to do a lot of work in me that is not, um, it's not surface level. It's that cutting like you're describing. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I hope I that was really good. Um, and I I hope it helps anyone who is going through that, maybe identifying that they don't really think that God wants them to be happy. Um, I think like the first step is like hang in there <laughs> and keep praying mm-hmm. and let God show you like that receptivity. Um, that's very beautiful. Um, moving on to your, so we've been talking a lot about the first chapter because each chapter in your book is a question. So the first one is, am I happy? And then the second one is, am I able? And you begin with a very true admission that no, we are not able. <laughs> you know, holiness, trying to achieve holiness immediately is going to show us our weaknesses and we can't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. So um, how can you... Mm, this is a big question, but what are kind of some of the main ways that you see Catholics getting it wrong when it comes to striving after holiness and our relationship with grace and um, our dependence on God? Yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm, I've become very allergic to the just do it approach because I find it depressing and dispiriting. Mm. Um, so oftentimes you'll hear witness talks given and the person gets up there and describes some sensational way in which the Lord led them from, you know, debauchery or yeah, like deep, dark, otherwise hair raising lives, um, into a place of grace, you know, into a place of, you know, where they can testify to the fact that God's at work in their life or it's just great. And then the work of kind of translating that to the ordinary Christian existence is often left undone. And the appeal that's given at the end is like, so you, you know, you could do it too, just try harder. Um, which mm. I, I just think is a bad way in which to approach the mystery of grace, because the first thing that we would profess of the spiritual life is that it's a gift. Um, and that before the gift giver, we, we don't have rights, we don't have a claim. And as a result of which are trying harder, if it sets off on the wrong foot, um, can actually be our undoing, right? If we, mm-hmm. I mean, like I could see how the devil would be very invested in that type of image because he's like, all right, mm-hmm. get him to depend entirely upon himself such that when he falls, he has no one else to accuse. Um, so I think that mm-hmm. there's a sense in which our spiritual lives begin from the posture of a beggar, right? Uh, there's Luigi Gisani, who founded the ecclesial movement communion liberation said that the real protagonist of history is the beggar. As man who begs for the heart of Christ, but it's first Christ who begs for the heart of man. And so mm-hmm. I think that we recognize the fact that our begging for God is underwritten by, in a certain sense, God's begging for us. That's anthropomorphizing, but you get it in the sense that like 
the only way in which we can respond in desire, the way in which we can respond with effort is because God has gone before us. Um, God has seen to it that, uh, that that grace is supplied and that that grace is continually furnished. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, uh, yeah, a, a lot of times it's, it's like, you know, when you have a conversation with another human being and that other human being just keeps trying to fix you and you're like, no, 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 I don't want to be fixed. I mean, I'd love to be fixed, but not by you. Um, I'm not here for advice. I'm here for, I'm just, I just want to talk to you, you know, like talking yeah. helps. And mm-hmm. I think that the spiritual life is like that, you know, talking helps in the sense that, you know, we're living our lives. We're also interpreting our lives and sometimes they're very obscure to us, but God makes them not plain, but God makes them such that, um, we understand enough, you know, lead kindly light, one step enough for me. Um, and so I think that, yeah, part, part of the mystery of the grace is, is the recognition that we don't have the means whereby uh, to take every step, but that by his grace, we have the means whereby to take a step. Yeah. Yeah. You wrote also in the book about like, try to imagine your life without God. And it's like incomprehensible. <laughs> you're, you're not even at ground zero. You're nothing. You're literally nothing. And so just the grace is it's not just a gift that we could go without. <laughs> it's not like a, a gift that is just kind of optional, like, okay, thank you. This is nice. No, it's like, no, no, really. Your soul is literally nothing without God. And uh, that's a really good starting point. Because <laughs> I know I always thought of it as optional. I'm like, well, I'm fine. Like, I don't, I don't have the grace of each sacrament until I receive the sacrament. So I'm fine without grace, right? You know? Um, but no, no, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, you wrote another thing that's, uh, pretty, pretty awesome. Virtue frees us for flourishing. So there is a great analogy used about becoming a virtuoso, like a musician. So can you just share that and like how that parallels our spiritual life? Sure. I think, I think a lot of people, when they think about becoming virtuous, we, you know, we mentioned it earlier, this idea of like, suppression or repression, you think about it as just like white knuckling your way through life. Mm. But truth be told, uh, the goal is to become free, genuinely free. So yeah, you can use examples taken from athletics or musicianship or even craftsmanship or whatever sort, where when you refine a skill, you start with the rudiments, you know, you kind of work your way through scales and arpeggios and etudes and stuff like that. But the point isn't so that you can, you know, play whatever moonlight salada, like a, like a, like a robot, you know, or that you can, you can master, um, a kind of, um, what would you say? Like regurgitation of things done by others. But Mm -hmm. the idea is that you will have internalized the art such that it kind of lives in you. It takes up a kind of, what would you say? Like a kind of living, moving, breathing life within you. And then you are a kind of con-creator as it were. So, you know, the, the musician, you put like jazz musicians in the same room and it takes them two seconds to get used to each other. And then they can improvise with a kind of delight and spontaneity. And the virtuous life ought to be like that. It's not like we process through a series of machine logic steps when we make every decision. It's like, okay, is this an example of number one? No. Is this an example of number two? No. Is this an example of number... No. It's like, no. No, We just kind of have a feel for the human reality at stake because we have a knack for humanity. And so we're able to you know, engage with whatever is on, you know, whatever's on offer, whatever's at stake in a way that's, that's free, that's genuinely free. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that the promise of the life of virtue is just, um, it's beyond what a lot of people imagine for it. Because the point is not to become a moral juggernaut who can just plow his way through every imaginable situation. Mm -hmm. The point is to become, 
yeah, like a moral musician, like a moral athlete, a moral craftsman of a sort. And that's, uh, I think that's just a far more beautiful vision. Yeah. So that whatever new situation that you've never experienced presents itself to you, you're able to live it in a way that is truly free, flourishing, because you have, like you yourself are not bound by sin. Um, yeah, that's, oh, that's so, that's so beautiful. Um, yeah. I forgot what I was going to say. So we're going to just move right on. Um, but let's Perfect. move on. To, let's go to prudence because it is the charioteer of the virtues. What the heck let's does that go. mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. Do it. Oraga virtutum. Um, what does that mean? So the basic <laughs> idea is that when we talk about the, the moral virtue or the four cardinal virtues, right? Mm-hmm. Which maybe, maybe people have heard of, maybe they haven't, regardless. It's prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Mm-hmm. And the thing about temperance, fortitude, and justice is that they're virtues of the appetite. And we typically distinguish between rational appetite, which we sometimes call the will, and then sense appetite, which we sometimes call the emotions or the passions. Mm -hmm. So, temperance and fortitude are in the sense appetite, and then justice is in the rational appetite. Now, is it that clean cut or clear cut, whatever you're supposed to say? Uh, No. I mean, there's like kind of blending as it were. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the basic idea is that these virtues inform our desires. Okay. Uh, The question though is, okay, how do these desires, well, how do they inform themselves? How do these desires take in the whole landscape in order to make an informed choice or an informed decision? Uh, Because there's an extent to which, or there's a degree to which you could say that like desire without thought is blind, all right? Because if we were just like a big hot mess of desires, we wouldn't be able to discern among the relative merits of those desires. If I were like a squirrel, for instance, and I went outside and I was like, tree, acorn, grass, house, bus, underneath the bus, underneath the tire of the bus. You know, it's like, that's bad. That ends in death. That ends in flat squirrel. Um, So you need to be able to discern the relative merits of the things that you desire on the basis of what actually contributes to the fullness of life, what actually mm. contributes to genuine flourishing. And basically, prudence is the virtue which does just that. So, we refer to prudence as the charioteer of the virtues mm. because it reigns in these spirited appetites, the very moral energy of which conducts us along a path of flourishing, but with the recognition that they need to be steered all right, by mm. someone who is standing erect in the charity itself who has a kind of provident vision, which sees the whole race course or sees the whole battlefield Mm -hmm. such that he can direct those horses in the way that is best suited to his flourishing, the flourishing of the army, the flourishing of the Republic, however you want to situate it. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, yeah, charioteer of the virtues. Great image. And I thought of what I was going to say, and it actually was a question about the word con-creator. You you didn't mean co-creator, right? You said con-creator. They mean the same thing. Yeah. So, oh, they do. Not, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She, I was like, um, is this a word? I've never heard this before, but is there a <laughs> distinction? I'm just a nerd and um, I forget how to talk English sometimes because <laughs> I spend most of my time with real old books. Nice. And uh, I think that that's just so, like, con can mean, you know, like with or great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes I prefer the ambiguity of con to co because co just means mm-hmm. with, but con, like, condescend to descend greatly, as it were. Mm-hmm. So, you get what you get with co, but then you get more with con. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start using that. And then I can impress everyone in my life. It'll be great. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. That's the purpose of it. <laughs> my, my morning offering every morning. Dear Jesus, 
Bless the day. Also, may I impress the maximum number of human beings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Oh my gosh. You're awesome. So, okay. So your book is about prudence. So we're, yes. we're, we're dipping into prudence quite deeply. There are eight parts of prudence. Uh, yeah. Would you mind introducing them? Because this is, this is just super cool. Yeah. I think, it, yeah. The idea behind this is that if you want to know what something is, sometimes it helps to take it apart and put it back together. Yeah. So if you're studying to be a mechanic, all right, it's good to take apart a car, put it all back together, make sure that it still works. So that way, as you address yourself to particular issues, you have a sense for where this component kind of fits within the whole. So that way you're not just kind of going about it like a bull in a china shop. So when St. Thomas lists the eight parts of prudence, what he calls the eight integral parts of prudence, integral just means like an integral part is a thing that when you put it together with other integral parts, it makes a whole, which has integrity. Um, so he lists eight integral parts of prudence, which are docility, memory, uh, understanding, shrewdness, reasoning, foresight, caution, and circumspection. And in quick review, docility is an openness to receive counsel from other people. Memory is an openness to weigh your own experience of life and to mm. do so well with an eye towards the future. Understanding is a kind of sensitivity to moral principles. So that way, like, yeah, yeah like you're, you're not, well, I'll just pass on. Um, and then reasoning or shrewdness, I should say, is the capacity to make good snap judgments. Yeah. So like car accident, you know, whether or not you should move based on whether you have a bad feeling in your spine. All right. So shrewdness. Um, reasoning is the capacity to see through a moral judgment, right? It's like, all right, A, then B, B, then C, therefore A, then C. All right. Um, mm -hmm. And then foresight is a capacity to project your decisions into the future mm -hmm. such that you can kind of see how they'll play out on a grander scale. Uh, and then caution and circumspection, they actually deal with... Um, like the seeing through of the actual choice. You've made the choice, you're in the you're in the in the midst of of doing the thing, but circumstances may change. So you want to be on the lookout for them. And then should circumstances change, you're able to reroute, redirect in a way that mm -hmm. the end of whatever choice you've made is secured and that you don't get kind of lost in the details. Awesome. I love that so much because I think it clarifies uh it just clarifies when we say prudence you're like, oh, well, that means, you know, like making a wise decision. It's like, well, what does that really mean? And I can even yeah. see as I was reading it, my husband and I, when we make decisions together, we bring different elements to the table uh, of, you know, to lead up to a prudent choice. And there are certain personality types that we have been given that kind of complement each other. And it's interesting because we were actually even just talking about the potential of moving to a different house. And he brings the caution and the, you know, well, what if this happens? And what if the inspection turns up this and all these different things? And I bring the, the boldness of like, but this is the big vision. This is what we've been looking for. You know, there's land and we can have a barn where we can gather our community together. And we can, you know, all of these, like the, the boldness and the prudent are in the caution together. raise chickens and made homemade granola. <laughs> uh, I don't think I want chickens. Actually, my parents have them. They're pretty dirty, but uh, my kids would love them. They'd probably like walk around mm -hmm. with chickens tucked under their arms, which would be a really good mm -hmm. photo op. So I consider it. That's the second part of my morning offering. Dear Jesus, <laughs> may I impress the maximum number of people and may I be presented with the maximum number of photo ops. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Opportunities for selfies. Lord. That's it. 
Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah. So those, those breaking it down to those components can actually, I think, help me identify where am I lacking and where do I need to grow, um, which is super helpful. So um, you wrote that it's good to be thoughtful, but it's better to be bold. And this relates to our different components of prudence. What do you mean by that? And yeah, uh, yeah. why is it better to be bold? Um, When St. Thomas talks about prudence, he divides it into two main steps. He says, Mm -hmm. you're thinking about the things and then you're doing the things. And he says, if we're going to try to typify prudence or sum prudence up or encapsulate prudence, it's more true of prudence that it does the things than that it thinks the things. Because there are plenty of virtues which Mm -hmm. help us to think the things well, but there's only prudence that does the things well. It is true of prudence that it is the virtue which commands. So I think that, Mm. you know, when you're talking about these different parts, when you're talking about being bold, um, the challenge there is to mobilize prudence, as it were, because prudence is perfected in action. Prudence is not perfected in just thinking the things because Mm. it's ordered or it's oriented by its very nature to the performing of those actions. Why? Because we as human beings are perfected in the performing of actions. Now, mm-hmm. that doesn't that shouldn't devolve into a just do it mentality because yeah. the point isn't just to make a decision. The point is to engage with reality because we are perfected by reality because we're made open to further perfection and the way we kind of what would you say um, the way that we assimilate that further perfection is by by engaging it. Mm-hmm. So it's not to say okay, make every decision as you as you see fit and just do it as quickly as possible. No, no, no. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes choosing not to act is a decision. In fact, that's a kind of action. Um, So, so we're still doing this in a way that's thoughtful in a way that's reflective in a way that draws on all the reasons which can be brought to bear, but we shouldn't think like, just because I've thought about it for a long time, it's therefore better, right? Often that's not the case. Mm. You can think too long about a thing and it dissolves into a kind of analysis paralysis. So yes, We draw from the wisdom of others. We draw from the wisdom of our experience. And when it comes to drawing from the wisdom of our experience, that means that we have to be open to our experience under that rubric. So it's not like, all right, I just want to do all the things so I can check them off a list. Like I live in Switzerland. I want to climb every 4,000 foot peak in Switzerland. It's like, if you do that in a way that's just silly, right? Then you'll just run yourself ragged because you're Mm. constantly going up and down a mountain, not necessarily enjoying it or drawing forth from that experience, the wisdom, which it could yield. Right. Right. So it's not about having wide experiences. It is about having deep experience. Mm. And then you go through with like, you know, understanding, we want to sensitize ourselves to realities rather than deadening ourselves to realities. That Mm -hmm. probably has something to do with like the amount that we use our cell phone. And when it comes to reasoning, you know, like, we need to practice reasoning just because mm. you have a mind with which to think doesn't mean that you're necessarily thinking well. Mm. You know, it's like when people mm-hmm. say, I've thought a lot about it. It's like, I don't care. I care that you've thought well about it. And those are different yeah. things. And I'm, yeah. I'll be the first to admit that my thinking long doesn't mean my thinking well, et cetera, mm. et cetera. So I think when we, when we kind of foreground boldness, it puts before us this idea that we're perfected in action. And so we should train our prudential decision-making as it were on that end, because it's in pursuing that end that we as human beings are made whole. That's super um, contradictory to, I think, so many people that I've talked to where they think they need, like exactly what you were saying, they think they need to know if the girl is the one before they ask her on the first date. (laughs) I was like, well, no, you actually learn it by doing it. So would you say that prudence is, um, you can't have perfect prudence before you act? in a sense, or like you, you gain prudence as you act almost like you continue yeah. to evaluate as you move forward. And I guess 
so when we think about making a decision, it means that we exclude certain things from our future path because you're, we're choosing one thing and we're saying no to another thing. And so yeah. in that exclusion, a lot of times we think of that as so black and white, like this has got to be permanent or this has got to be a huge decision, but there's a lot of small decisions that lead up to most decisions. And so yeah. in that sense, it's like, well, yeah, you do have to exclude certain things and you may not be able to make a perfectly prudent choice beforehand, but rarely do we ever make a decision that's like, you can't go back on it in some capacity if you really, really needed to. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, so j just like, a, I guess like a quick thought is, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the word perfect can be said in many ways. Yeah. All right. So let's take an example. Uh, let's say you're playing go fish with a couple mm -hmm. of your kids. All right. And you come away at the end of the game with you know, five sets and then your two kids each have four sets. Mm -hmm. You won. You played the game perfectly. Mm -hmm. Just because you didn't get all 13 sets doesn't mean that you're a deficient human being. And I think that the reason I set that image forward is because whenever we make decisions, we're dealing with decisions in a material world with okay. contingent circumstances in a constant flux of like, I will, unanticipatable circumstances and consequences, consequences. I want to say consequences. Yeah. Um, and so I think sometimes we, we, we think about our decisions as if we have to get all 13 sets when that's mm -hmm. just not the point, right? Yeah. The point is to, to do well with what you have. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can be achieved in a variety of legitimate ways, which is like, you know, getting back to discernment. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty decidedly against soulmate theory as an operative principle of dating. Yeah. I think that soulmate theory obtains in the mind of God. I think that God gives us some access to what he thinks about things, but I, mm -hmm. but I think he only kind of pulls the veil back a little bit. So I don't think that we have access to his soulmate theory, as it were. I think he just gives us enough to know in order that we can make good decisions. And I think mm -hmm. kind of from our perspective of things, there's probably, you know, for those who aren't married and are looking to be married, there's probably a few people who you could marry, could marry and be happy married with. Mm -hmm. um, is that like a kind of sigh of despair? Like, oh, I may as well settle. No, it's not, it's not settling because there's no ideal spouse, right? There's a, there are good spouses. There are right. great spouses. There are excellent spouses, but there's no like spouse laid up in the ethereal heavens, the incarnation of whom you're waiting for at the foreordained time, until yeah. which you can lay on your couch because what you do presently contributes in no wise to that end. It's like crazy town. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that the vision of prudence that we want to set forward is one which is completely content with a little bit of a mess because human life is a little bit of a mess. And here's mm -hmm. the thing, God created it as such, not because he's creepy or vindictive, but because he thinks that this mess is beautiful as mess on the way to glory. Mm, yes. So much in there, so many gems to mine about discernment because yeah, that we we fall into this really like black and white thinking about discernment. I find that with so many Catholics in a way that we really I don't see it in other areas uh when we're talking about virtue and so forth. But then there's like this big question about like vocation or discerning some decision. It's like good choice. It yeah, I, I think looking at it not as like perfect choice, terrible choice, but like a spectrum of good choices and you get to choose them and you get to, you have to accept the consequences of each as well. It's like, 
that's a lot for us because we kind of want God to like just hand us the decision and then we can just find the one perfect decision and we don't have to suffer anymore. And that's not how it works. That's not at all. In fact, there is, I'm going to throw another quote of yours in here um, because it's relevant. Um, You said, in summary, God knows the plan. We are capable of knowing the plan and it's up to us to know the plan and act on it. Um, And you kind of said before that God like pulls the veil back enough for us to know, but we're not supposed to fully know it. Is that, that's basically, okay, good summary. We we just, we just know it in the way that's proper to human beings. Yeah. And, and often we know it through our agency, right? God, Mm. God wills that we know the plan in enacting it. Mm. Right. So God doesn't say like, all right, chalk talk, here we go team. Here's the plan. Now let's go out there and effectuate it. God says like, all right, let's go play. And then as we're playing, like God's kind of like over there, he's like winking. He's like, uh-huh. You see how this is going? <laughs> I do see how this is going. It's, <laughs> it's, like, like, it's like, yeah, it's for welfare, not for woe, isn't it? I was like, I would say that it's for welfare, not for woe, but I, I feel at times like we're going to lose. He's like, oh yeah, I like it. I like it when you feel like that too. It's kind of, kind of makes things spicy. He's like, did you like the Lord of the Rings? I was like, I did like the Lord of the Rings. He's like, do you feel like you're going to lose for about seven eighths of it? I was like, I did feel that way. He's like, make it, make the end really cool. I was like, I did make the end really cool. He's like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yes you like get decked really hard by a player on the other team and you're like oh okay so now that i've been like whacked and smacked down now that's how i know to not leave myself open on that side that i have to defend better this way it's like playing the game that you get to learn it i love it <laughs> i have this great image of you like playing football and god just like on the side like you got it <laughs> you're like well, you covered in this, you're like Ah, is it? Do I though? Do I? And he's like, no, (laughs) you're doing great. Unclear. Unclear. (laughs) Yes. Cool. So um, the last part of the title of your book is about confidence, living with confidence. Mm. And I think uh, maybe it's because I'm married to a former wannabe Carthusian. Um, Mm. He wanted to be a Carthusian for like six years. And so he's very comfortable with this like Carthusian mentality, uh, which is that like, you don't know if your vocation was to be a Carthusian like ever really. And sometimes he said that they would like bury one of their brothers. And then like at the funeral, they'd be like, yeah, he was, uh, he was called to be a Carthusian that one, but like until, <laughs> until that point, until he's like cold in the ground, they're never going to be like, yeah, he, um, you're where you need to be. Uh, and so, but we're all seeking that, right? We're all seeking that sense of like, I have landed where I belong. I am where I need to be. And that kind of need for, or that desire for that feeling can lead us to analysis paralysis, which is, Mm -hmm. I think you coined that phrase. And I really, with that little ism, I really enjoy that. Um, and so, I think your discussion about just like remembering that our choices are not supposed to be, they're not, the end is not this world, um, is uh, so good. Can you just give me a little summary about that, about like keeping our choices in perspective that like we can live confidently, but it's not for here, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I think, um, yeah, maybe one way to kind of get at this reality is to talk again about perfection. Mm -hmm. So to be perfect is premised on the nature under consideration. All right. Thanks, Father mm-hmm. Gregor, for that philosophical jargon. Can you explain further? I was hoping you would ask. Yeah, good. Um, so, so for God to be perfect, is it's expressed in a particular way because God just is being, right? So God subsists as perfection. So there's nothing 
of perfection, which is foreign to God. Okay. Mm-hmm. But then like angels are perfect in an angelic way, right? So they're, they're perfect thinking things um, and they're perfected in the life of grace. So they're maximally responsive to the will of God for an angel. And we are seeking to be perfect as human beings. And there's an end to that, right? Which is heaven, mm-hmm. which means that we as, as knowers and lovers will be wholly engrossed in the word of God, you know, in the vision of the most high God, such that we, you know, are, are filled with his divine life, uh, such that it breaks forth in praise. Um, and, and that conditions the way in which we approach perfection presently. But St. Thomas will say, whereas God does not pr- proceed to his end and angels proceed to their end by one movement, we proceed to our end by many movements. So for us, perfection is always going to be perfection presently, I should say, is going to be perfection on the way. And when St. Thomas, like, for instance, reads the passage that um, our Lord cobbles together, the double love command to love the Lord, your God, with your whole mind, heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, whoa, do you guys see this word whole? Kind of terrible. What are your thoughts? St. Thomas says, it's a wholeness basically of willing a higher state. Mm-hmm. He says, we are perfect when at each moment in our lives, we will, or we are open to the reception of greater graces mm-hmm. from God. So I, I'm, I'm, if I were to like boil that down and put it on a postcard, I'd say that we seek always to be surprised by a God who is generous. Um, and I think that that's, that's a perfect disposition, a continual openness. Um, so are we going to be you know, perfect at the age of nine in the same way that we're perfect at the age of 17. No, it's going to look different because it's going to be proper to each state. It's going to be proper to each step along the journey. And so for us, we need not be bogged down by trying to take snapshots of perfection, trying to get a freeze frame of what perfection looks like Mm -hmm. at this time, because that's, I mean, I think that's to attribute um, too much importance to that one particular moment. And I think yeah. a, a lot of times we do this with respect to vocation because we think of that freeze frame when we're 23 years old or 26 years old or 31 years old or whatever as the most important moment of our lives. When truth be told, the most important the most important moment, I can't speak tonight. I just want to, <laughs> the most important <laughs> moment great. of our lives <laughs> is the last one, right? Yeah. What, what are the moments for which we ask a grace of the Blessed Virgin Mary now? And at the hour of our, death, of our death, those are the times that matter, right? Yeah, yeah. So only the present has grace and the grace that we imbibe now from the generous God mm. whom we love and worship, right? Is a grace that looks toward that last moment, that threshold of the, you know, the, the eternal embrace towards mm. which we strain. So I think that like, do I, do, yeah, do I need to evidence the perfection of that final time now and in the present? No, I mean, mm-hmm. Yeah, you just you just don't because that's not the shape of human life, mm-hmm. right? That's the shape of angelic life who proceed to their end by one movement. But we're not angels. We were given a body so that it can grow and so that it can die, right? We are meant to wax and wane. But mm-hmm. in the life of virtue, we're meant only to grow. We're meant only on an upward trajectory. Will it always look like that? No. I mean, there's going to be times where we're like, wow, seems like I am backsliding. But all with this hope, all with this openness to the fact that God can continually surprise me. I love that. That is so hopeful and just gives me um, the ability to like see things with new eyes. It's so easy to get bogged down with milestones and accomplishments and all the things that you want along the way, which are good and holy things many times. They're, you want them because they're good for some reason, but they're not the ultimate. And uh, yeah, I think you said like the, you want to be um, on the other side of that choice. You want to be closer to to that heaven so it's it's not even about like what you know what i do it's not 
about what I do so much as like who I become and, and who I'm always continually becoming. So I want to finish up with this lovely quote of yours. Uh, one, only you are able to reveal what God's grace can do in the here and now of your life. By offering your consent to, li to life as God gives it, you become a monstrance of his peculiar love and announce something unique of his divine life. So any final words do you want to share with anyone kind of struggling to make any decisions? Again, broad sweeping advice, but any uh, anything you see that you just are like, I wish people knew this. Yeah, I would say, yeah. You mentioned at the beginning of the thing, um, God's not standing by waiting for us to fail, right? God is present. God is prompting, God is inviting, God is goading, God is inspiring such that the fruits of our choice lead us ultimately back to him. Um, it'll, you know, it'll take time, step by step, slowly, slowly, but provided only that we are open to the grace, that we are open to the recognition that there are obstacles to that grace, which God will address, you know, through and in us over the course of the length of our life. Yeah, you know, God will have his way and his way is good. So you have what it takes to live your life well. Trust in that. Yes. I saw this incredible uh, meme that was like, when God created the plan that he had in mind for you, he accounted for your stupidity as well. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Was, oh, thank you. <laughs> I needed that. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm like, oh no, I've messed it up. Like I can't, I'm never getting back on track. And it's like, no, 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 no. God knew. He knew that you were going to do yeah. everything that, everything stupid that you were going to do. <laughs> <laughs> yep. oh, God my makes goodness. all things work to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Even sin. Even sin. Yes. Like St. Paul was even talking about, like, I rejoice in my weaknesses. Like I, I rejoice in those. And it's like, whoa, that's a whole new way to look at it, right? Oh my gosh, world turned upside down because we regret them a lot. But then it's like, well, actually, that's an opportunity for God to manifest his mercy and his glory even more. Yeah, yeah which is whew. yeah. So good. Thank you so much, Father Gregory. What a pleasure to have you back on the podcast and YouTube show. I'm just so happy to have you. And I will definitely be including a link for your beautiful book so that everyone can rush out and get it virtually. Nobody rushes anywhere to get anything. Nobody stands <laughs> in line for things anymore. It's just all virtual, but it's fine. You can order it. You can break your fingers typing in <laughs> your credit card information. <laughs> yes. Now, well, God bless you. Thank you so much. All right, well, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Cheers. It's a pleasure. If you've made it this far and you're still listening, I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. Please take five seconds and leave a review on Apple Podcasts as it really does help the show get seen by more eyes. I also want to invite you to join our wonderful Patreon community that meets twice a month, once for a rosary and book club and once for a more informal chat to get to know any new members and to deepen our connections with our more established members who have been there for a while. We have such a wonderful group from all over the country and some international as well. And I just really am so amazed by what the Holy Spirit is doing with this group. In fact, we are having an in-person meeting next month. So it's not too late to get in on our incredible community, patreon.com slash called and caffeinated. And of course, your monthly pledge helps support my show. So I'm very grateful. God bless you abundantly until I see you for our next coffee date.